0: Welcome to Genesis. Uh, My name is Michael. If you're here for the very first time, keep coming in. A special welcome to you. Uh, We're glad that uh, you are here. Uh, We're in the midst of a a series entitled Jesus, and uh, we have been slowly, but surely walking through uh, the Gospel of Mark. We started uh, this past fall, and uh, we'll probably finish sometime in the future. (laughs) I have no idea when, but... uh, we will finish, uh, when we get finished. Um, hey, tonight is, uh, last week we had the opportunity to hear uh, about life groups. There were some folks who were uh, shared their story as it relates to life groups, and uh, just so you know, life groups are our smaller communities of uh, men and women who are getting together and uh, learning, as it's called, learning how to do life together, learning how to serve together, uh, learning how to encourage one another, uh, learning how to study scriptures uh, together to pray for one another uh, to invest in one another so um, uh, tonight uh, we are doing our summer life group sign up we do things on a trimester basis so every 12 weeks uh, we start a new series of life groups so uh, tonight you'll have the opportunity to sign up for uh, a brand new life group so uh, i think there should be a brochure on your chairs uh, that highlight the different life groups kind of highlights what life groups are uh, kind of the heart behind life groups and um, the different life groups that are being offered uh, on every other chair was a postcard uh, Men, if you want to go ahead and pick that up just the fellas it's a heart a card that says igniting hearts of prayer that is not for you so pass it along to a woman <laughs> This is um, not a life group per se, but uh, what this is gonna be is uh, a group that is filtered through um, uh, our prayer ministry. So there's gonna be a group of women gathering every Wednesday night for a time of prayer, some study of scripture, Uh, but it's gonna be really a prayer-focused group and that's just for women. Uh, And it will start the same week, so to speak, that life groups do. So you can sign up for this one specifically by emailing Lori Samuels. Uh, This is not gonna be online, but you can sign up for our life groups Uh, via our Life Groups uh, website. So um, really at the heart of Life Groups is we can get known at some level uh, in a group this size of maybe 85 to 100 people. Uh, And there can be uh, some transformative things that happen in in a group like this. But what we really believe is that when we start gathering in smaller communities of people, uh, life change, life transformation uh, really takes place. So, uh, for those of you who've been in life groups, I assume that you would testify that this is a great thing, a necessary thing, a needed thing. And for those of you who've never done a life group, uh, I would strongly challenge and encourage you uh, to get yourself planted uh, in a life group uh, this summer. So more information is uh, in the back about those. Uh, Also, one of the things that, um, we've got a lot going on in Genesis. We're in the midst of a church plant. So our communication with Genesis and all the things that are happening, um, there's a lot that we need to communicate. And our our primary vehicle of communication uh, is we do some things, certainly on Sunday nights, But we also do uh, something called the Genesis Weekly. And so there's a lot of things that we're passing along to you in the Genesis Weekly. And uh, if you're not signed up for that, you can sign up for that at the back. And that's just one email once a week to you communicating what's happening within uh, the community. So uh, I will tell you this, we are spying on you now. Uh, Very big brotherish, I don't know if you wanna know this, but I'm gonna tell you, is um, Uh, We have roughly about 350 people who get the weekly each week, and because of our fancy new technology, we know who's opening the weekly. So, (laughs) there is roughly only about 80, 85 a week who open that, Uh, and for some strange reason, there's a lot of people from New Hampshire who open the weekly, there's a lot of people from California, uh, some from Texas, I'm not even sure who these people are, but we uh, read what's happening here. So uh, all of this to say, we really want you to um, uh, open that so you can find out what God is doing within the community and certainly what's happening uh, within the church plant. So get connected through uh, finding out uh, what's what's taking place with weekly. Tonight, uh, this is a pretty... I guess practical, Uh, I hope every week is practical, every week is helpful, but uh, tonight specifically we're going to be talking about marriage. Uh, We're in a section of scripture in Mark uh, chapter 10, and uh, as we go there, I wanted to ask a few questions. How many people in here are actually married? And raise your hand, be proud. All right. How many of those people raise their hands or happily married? Go ahead, there you go, there you go, well done. Um, how many uh, people here are engaged? handful? I know that uh, Genesis alone, they may not all be here tonight, but we have, Now, Andy, she's having to kind of force your hand up. It's not going well. Um, There's like uh, nine couples within this community of 100 people uh, who are engaged to be married at some point by the end of the summer, which is a lot. How many people in here would like to get married one day? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hands and be proud, would you? All right, keep them up. Keep them up. Maybe take a look around the room. Something unique might happen
1: uh, later tonight.
0: Now, sometimes statistics are not uh, very helpful, um, but when I consider um, some statistics as it relates to marriage, um, it's very saddening, actually, because uh, some of the numbers, uh, statistically speaking, um, are a bit depressing, a bit discouraging. Uh, roughly 70% of men and 60% of women, uh, at some point in their marriage, will commit adultery, uh, meaning sleep with someone other than their spouse. Um, that is a phenomenal amount of, of people. It's Math is pretty easy, seven out of 10 men, six out of 10 women who physically <coughs> cheat on their spouse. Uh, it's hard to actually get an accurate number of what the divorce rate is because it's somewhere between 50 and 60%. But uh, somewhere between that number, 50 to 60, uh, marriages will end in divorce. And uh, the numbers that actually make it beyond 15 years uh, of marriage, um, is a very small percentage of people. Now, as I consider some of these numbers, if you were to, uh, say you were traveling tomorrow on a plane and you found out that there was roughly 50, 55% chance that your plane would crash, how many of you uh, would get on that plane? If you knew that there was roughly a 55% chance that that plane would go down, I'm guessing I personally would not get on that plane. I would look for another flight. What if there was uh, a chance, 50, 55% chance on your way to work tomorrow uh, that you were gonna get hit by a car. Your car would be struck by another car. Would you go to work that day? Or would you at least alter the route that you normally take uh, and do something different? This is a bit of an extreme example, but if you found out you had a, a son or a daughter and you found out that there was a 50-55% chance that one of your kids would uh, be kidnapped uh, tomorrow, uh, at some point during the day uh, on their way to school or at school, how many of you in your right mind would send your kids to school? That's a pretty high percentage. I I would not personally send my kid, or I might put a gun on him, so that might help. And if that's at all true, that 50, 55% of marriages end in divorce, how many of you who are here and single, are here and engaged, would actually wanna get married? If there's really 50, 55% chance that it just won't work for you, how many of you would do that? Tonight, we're gonna be talking about marriage I hope it will be a very practical and helpful way, one of the things that uh, I'm going to hopefully preach a very short message, uh, because one of the things that uh, I want you to do uh, is I want to hear your questions, and uh, tonight, uh, usually in church you're told to turn off your cell phone, not tonight, you get to use your cell phone, and uh, what we're going to be doing starting now is uh, as I'm sharing some things from scripture, specifically Mark chapter 10, uh, if you have questions Uh, about marriage, uh, about divorce, about remarriage, about singleness, uh, about intimacy within marriage. These are the things that Jesus is going to be teaching about tonight. Um, uh, At the end of our message and before we continue in worship, uh, Kyla is going to come up here with me and we're going to field just on the spot whatever questions uh, that are pressing on your heart. These are questions about marriage, so don't break out any questions about like Leviticus chapter 20 or something. So keep your questions limited to uh, what we're talking about tonight in in regards to relationships and marriage. Uh, In order to text message your questions in, I think it's on the screen behind me of what you need to do, you actually text that certain number 99503. That's the number you send your question to. And before you type out your question in your text message, make sure you put Genesis space and then your question so that will stay up there uh, while we continue on. Um, please send, no questions are off limits um, in regards to marriage. Uh, so please, uh, as, we're, as I'm talking and sharing and walking through scripture, uh, please pass along your questions as it relates to marriage and, and that relationship. Uh, before I jump into, I'm going to go through this pretty quick because I do want to spend as much time on your questions as we can. Um, I want to share some just thoughts as a way of introduction about marriage. And the first thought that I uh, want to communicate to you is this, is marriage is God's idea, not man's. This was not something that man created and came up with this clever idea of, hey, you're a man, you're a woman, This, let's get together. Uh, this was God's design. And if you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 20, it says this, So the man uh, gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And I want you to know we were unconscious when this happened. God did not need us, so to speak, as it was uh, relating to uh, to woman. He brought her to the man. This is an amazing picture that the very first father of the bride is God himself bringing his daughter Eve to first son Adam. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Just goes to the point that marriage is God's idea, not our idea. And so as you consider that, if it's God's idea, that means God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a will for marriage. And as you are in marriage or considering marriage, a big question to consider is whose design will you pursue in marriage? God's design, God's way, God's purpose in marriage, or will you pursue man's? I've already given you some overwhelmingly saddening numbers about what happens when we follow man's purpose in marriage. It doesn't go well. The second thing I'd share with you is marriage is not the goal in life. I know that there are typically the message that's communicated to Uh, people who are single is that you are second-rate, you're JV, you're a second-class citizen if you do not have a spouse, a husband or a wife. I wanna tell you that marriage is not the goal in life. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest thing that I could give myself to, Jesus didn't say, marriage, that's the biggest thing that you can ever accomplish in your life, is find yourself a spouse. If you've done that you've accomplished absolutely everything so marriage is not the goal in life the goal in life is that we would know the god that created us that we would be in relationship with him and jesus christ made that possible the goal in life is that we would know and love god and that we would love people that's the great commandment love god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Marriage is not the goal. I know in the culture we live in, that's the message that's communicated. If you're single, you have a disease. It's actually interesting as you consider marriage, uh, especially the Apostle Paul, he really leans towards uh, actually being single and counsels people. I would encourage you not to get married. And his line of reasoning towards marriage is, It's better for you to be married than to burn with passionate lust. So basically, if you can't control yourself, you might as well get married. But I wish that you were like me. I don't think anyone would look at Paul or any of the prophets or would look at Jesus and say, yep, those guys, they weren't varsity. Marriage is not the goal in life. The goal in life is to know God, to love God and to love people. Marriage should be seen, number three, as a gift, not a curse. One of the hard things uh, for me sometimes being around other married people is they knock marriage. It's the old ball and chain jokes that somehow their life is worse off because they're married. Marriage is an incredible gift from God. It's not a curse. And so to those of you who are married, uh, treat your marriage as a gift. Receive it as a gift, not a curse. I love uh, Solomon's uh, words here in Ecclesiastes 9, enjoy the days of your life with your wife. I personally wanna be a champion for marriage. It is not a bad thing, it is not a curse. Most of the mentality and culture is, you know, live your life, get it all out of your system, play hard, sin hard, and then when you get married, then it's all over. And then especially the message is, when kids come along, it's like doubly all over. I wanna be a champion for marriage relationship, that it is a gift from God. Uh, The fourth thing, marriage is a gift to the generations that will follow you. Sometimes we're so focused, if you're in marriage relationship, just on your spouse, and you neglect to look beyond just you, him, and her. Your marriage that you will have, if God calls you to marriage, it will be passed along for generations and generations to come. The healthiest, the greatest gift you can give to your children in marriage is a healthy marriage. What it looks like to be a husband who loves Jesus and loves his wife as a wife, what it looks like to be a wife who loves Jesus and loves her husband. It's a good chance I'm not gonna pass along to my kids much money or many possessions or you know any of these things that culture says we should pass along. But if I can pass along to my sons what it looks like to love Jesus and to love their mom, that will have an impact on how they treat their spouse and their kids will be impacted by that. Learn to live beyond just yourself and think generationally. I personally want to pass down to my son so that they will pass down to their sons and daughters and their sons and daughters. The gift of a healthy marriage. Number five, marriage is a picture of the relationship that Jesus has with the church. This is a mystery. Even the Apostle Paul says that in Ephesians 5. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Your marriage, to those of you who are married, to those of you who are engaged, or will get married one day, your relationship that you have, it will either be a picture of God at work in you, God at work in this relationship, or a relationship that is utterly void of God. And in a culture of, we live in, where 50 to 55% end in divorce, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, your marriage should model something of hope. It should inspire people. Why? Because we have an answer to what a healthy marriage looks like and that's keeping Jesus as the, the cornerstone. This is the last way of introduction. This is an important one. Marriage in the marriage bed is to be honored. We live in such a sex, craved culture where there are many husbands who are bringing other women into their bed with them maybe not physically and literally but mentally because it is so accessible out there that we do not honor the marriage bed because we don't guard our minds we don't guard our hearts and we violate the marriage bed And the author of Hebrews said, marriage should be honored by all. So for those of you who are married and those of you who are single, how do you honor marriage? If you know people who are married, pray for them. Pray that they would have a rock solid marriage. Pray that Jesus would be the, the, the focus, the center point of the relationship. And so, those of you who are married, Keep your marriage bed pure by keeping your head and your heart pure. It's a scary number to consider that 70% of the men in here who are married or will get married, statistically speaking, will commit adultery. Honor marriage and honor the marriage bed. Jesus in Mark 10 is encountered by a group of Pharisees. They don't like him that much. They want to test him. And remember, the Pharisees, ever since Mark 3, they are bent on killing Jesus. So anytime we are encountering the Pharisees, um, they are trying to trip Jesus up. Uh, they're trying to manipulate, and they come to him um, in this passage, Mark chapter 10, trying to test him, so to speak. So this is, I'm going to read a few verses here. This is Mark chapter 10. It should be on the screen if you want to flip to your Bibles. Verse 1, Jesus then left the place and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus responds in verse 3, What did Moses command you? He replied, and they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And I love Jesus's response. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus is trumping their argument by going back to the very beginning of time. And saying God has a design, a plan, a purpose, permanence in marriage. Because your hearts were hard, Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate it goes on in verse 10 when they were in the house again the disciples asked Jesus about this he answered anyone who divorces his wife and marries another man commits adultery against her and if she divorces her husband and marries another man she commits adultery those are 12 um, very very relevant passage or uh, verses on marriage I'm going to walk through uh, this, and I'll walk through it pretty quickly. But what's behind their question? Jesus made clear, Mark made clear, that they were coming to test Jesus. But what's behind their question is, what does the law allow or permit me to do? It's another way of saying, what can I get away with? That was the intent of their question. How far can I push it? What can I get away with? And it was looking at the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. They were looking for a legal loophole, so to speak, a way to justify sin. Let me test us in this. Uh, Ephesians 5 says this, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved and gave himself up her as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse three, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of any greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So what's a hint? This is what they're basically asking here, uh, Jesus, is how far can we take it? I give Ephesians 5 as an example because this is a real example for us. Let's debate now what actually a hint is. So rather than asking questions like, because at the heart of this passage is be holy. Like God is a holy God, so imitate him. And we come up with clever questions of how far can I take it? Like how far can I go? What's the line, so to speak? Because it's a bit shady on what a hint actually is. I'm not clear what a hint actually is. So I'll come up with my own definition, so to speak, of what a hint is. This is what's behind their question. How How far can I take it? What can't I do, so to speak? Moses wrote a law in Deuteronomy, chapter 24, that permitted people to divorce. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse one says this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, let's just stop there because what was happening was say, um, Kyle and I lived back in the day about 4,000 years ago, she cooked a a meal and it wasn't up to Chipotle standard. (laughs) That displeases me, so she's gone. Why? Because that's what the law said. So men in the day were throwing away their marriage vows, throwing away women with anything and everything that would become displeasing to them. And why Moses wrote this law was to protect women. It's hard for us to understand maybe, but women were nothing more than property back in that time. And if a woman, did not have a certificate of divorce, she was as good as dead. Literally, she would be on the streets, she could never marry again, could never be taken care of again. Typically women who did not have a certificate, a legal document saying that she was divorced, they would be given way to prostitution and things of the like because there was just no way to be provided for, so Moses, Was not giving permission per se. He was giving uh, boundaries, so to speak, of if you are going to divorce, you must give her a certificate of divorce so she will be provided for and protected. So the point being, Moses gave instructions on divorce, but he does not endorse uh, divorce. Jesus' response is pretty clear. He's bold, he's very, uh, has conviction. And he says, you wanna know why? Because you have hard hearts. You are a rebellious people. And when your heart grows hard towards God, rather than embracing his way, you choose your own way. And as soon as your heart becomes hard towards God, you neglect his way in favor of yours. And if you have a hard heart marriage towards God, guess what's next? A hard heart towards your spouse. And a hard heart towards your spouse is death. The second your heart begins, reaches, it's just hard. It's a rock. Things like grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness are no longer a reality. And divorce is the only option. Why? Because your heart's hard towards God and your heart is hard towards your spouse. I do want to be clear in this passage. Jesus is makes clear that God's plan for marriage is permanent. Moses wrote that law to protect because men's hearts were sinful and they were hard and women were being neglected and abused. And to care for, to take care of women in that category, that's where that law was coming from. Jesus doesn't wanna talk about divorce. They're engaging him on a conversation about divorce Jesus now takes the conversation towards marriage. And he goes back and says, but at the beginning, God had a design, a plan, a purpose for marriage. And I've already read the Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, 22, 23, 24. There's four words, and I I share this uh, throughout marriage counseling. There's four key words in that Genesis passage. And the first one is receive. Anytime God gives you a gift, you can receive it or you can reject it. God brought forth woman from man, and he brought woman to man. At that moment in time, Adam had a choice. Will I receive what God is bringing to me? What I love, he had no clue who she was. There was no dating, there was no courtship. He didn't know her personality, her likes, her dislikes. He didn't know her temperament. He knew nothing of this woman, except if she is from God, it must be good. And the beauty, the first recorded words of man is in Genesis chapter two, where Adam breaks forth in the Hebrew language, breaks forth in song. He sees her, now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's a song that he sang. After looking at hairy beasts with tails, for however long, finally someone that I can relate to, someone that I can connect with, Someone that I could be one with. Someone that I could share a heart, a life with. And he breaks forth in song. So the first key thing in marriage, receive. And the danger is what happens when you stop receiving your spouse as a gift from God? You start rejecting her or him. The second you stop looking at your spouse as a gift from God. Wow, resentment and bitterness creep into this relationship. You continually receive your wife, your husband, as a gift from God. The second word is leave. Before your marriage, or at least then, no it might not be the case now, but then your primary relationship was in the home with your mom and with your dad, your parents. So the basic word of this word leave is to depart, to abandon, to lose. When you get married, you leave that primary principle relationship that you were dependent on physically, emotionally, spiritually, and a new family is being formed. And you don't do so half-heartedly. When you leave, you cut the cord of dependence, and there is a new family, a new cord that is being established. A new family between husband and wife. The third word is cleave. Meaning you cling, you stick to, or stick with, you follow closely. Also applied in this word cleave is a pursuit. I love about that is the second a husband stops pursuing his wife, you're in trouble. You leave and then you cleave, you stick, you follow, you pursue one another. So not only is there a new dependence in marriage relationship, there is a new allegiance that is taking place. The last word is oneness, meaning you're one, same, single. And this word oneness is the same word that Moses uses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is diversity in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but there is unity, there is oneness. There is Oneness in marriage does not mean you lose your personality. It means that you do have diversity in the relationship, but you are unified, you have one. Consider the words, this is from an author who wrote a great book, a great read on the marriage relationship. Consider how people describe marriage. Broken, shattered, split up, separated, divorced, distant, picking up the pieces of what remains. Is there any talk? of there's oneness there is oneness in this relationship there's unity in this relationship and the beauty of the unity that the oneness you know what happens when there is oneness there's no shame i love genesis chapter 2 verse 24 the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame no shame or embarrassment no covering up pretending mask wearing total acceptance this is not just a nakedness physically speaking although that's part of it but to be emotionally naked to be spiritually naked and to know that your spouse husband or wife embraces you i'm going to fly through this list very quickly and get to the questions that you have but What was on my heart to share with you, and I'm gonna do it quickly, is guarding oneness in your marriage. There is a receiving of your spouse, there is a leaving a dependence on your spouse, husband, wife, there is a cleaving and an allegiance being formed in pursuit of one another, and fourthly, a oneness, because so many marriages lack oneness, unity, where you are truly naked with one another and feel no shame. I wanted to give you some observations on uh, oneness killers, so to speak. First one is this, already alluded to it, but sexual impurity. You wanna kill oneness, invite sexual sin into your relationship. You wanna kill oneness, uh, invite pornography into your relationship. You wanna kill your oneness, Invite another woman or another man physically, emotionally, mentally into your relationship. The quickest way to destroy unity is allow someone else in. It's very easy to do and happens very quick. There are so many marriages that are devastated by sexual sin. It will absolutely rot your heart, your mind, towards your spouse. This is predominantly a big struggle for men, but it is also a struggle for women. Not allowing others into your marriage bed. Second one is unforgiveness. Colossians 3, chapter 3, verse 13, just says simply, forgive as the Lord forgives you. When you don't forgive your spouse, let me just put it this way, there is nothing that you should never forgive your spouse of. Why? Because there's nothing that Jesus has never forgiven you of. And the command to Christians, especially in the context of marriage, is forgive as you have been forgiven. Second, or the third killer in marriage so sexual impurity, unforgiveness, and I'll put this one just as communication. When couples just stop talking to each other, communication is listening and sharing. And the reality is most married couples just, they stop exploring one another. They get to the end of each other. I Me mean, personally, I've not gotten to the end of my wife yet. There is more to discover about Kyla because God is still working in her life. Most people in marriage, they run out of things to talk about. So the most exciting thing to talk about is what movie they're gonna get a blockbuster for this weekend or what color they're going to paint the living room. Lack of communication, lack of investing in asking questions, listening, engaging one another is a oneness killer. Intimacy is the fourth one, or lack thereof. Intimacy deals with knowledge. I know that when we think of intimacy, we immediately think of sex and being naked together. In Genesis 4, verse 1, when it says Adam uh, lay with his wife, Adam knew his wife. He was intimate with his wife. Yada, that's the Hebrew word for intimacy, and it means knowledge. That we have knowledge of one another. And what happens a lot in marriage is husbands only want physical intimacy, And so they say to their wives, I only want part of you, I don't want all of you. I just want the physical, I just want the sex. And wives also can say, I don't want you physically, I just want you emotionally, I want a heart connection. And so they say to their husbands, I don't want all of you, I just want part of you. And God's design in marriage is that we would have a complete, a total intimacy, both physically emotionally spiritually relationally mentally that we would truly be known and the result of healthy intimacy god-centered jesus-centered intimacy is naked and feel no shame the fifth oneness unity killer is time there are people who spend more time on facebook the internet and television than they do with their spouse they invest more time into Things like that. They know more about the storyline, so to speak, of any popular television show than they do know the storyline of their wife or their husband. If you do not invest time into your marriage relationship, you will not have oneness. Is there anything in life that you could ever neglect and it would ever turn out well? If you neglected your body, you just didn't care for it, take care of it, eat well, sleep well, work out, exercise, if you just didn't care, at some point, you'd be on a NBC reality TV show. Like there's nothing in life that if you don't care for it, by investing time into it, it will be neglected and it will die. Last uh, sixth one, and I'll finish with this, is spiritual disconnect. There's men who love the title spiritual leader. They love, I'm the leader, I'm in charge. I tell her what she does, when she does it, how she does it, that's my gig, that's my job. Slap that title on me, I absolutely love it. And there is a great spiritual disconnect in the marriage relationship. I'll give you this very quickly is there's a lot of men who know how to be spiritual, but they don't know how to lead. You ask an average husband, hey, what does it look like to spiritually lead your wife, your home, your family, your kids? Most answers typically are, I don't know. And that's not to mock someone, that's just to say we haven't had people who've gone before so who've done it well. That's why you do it well, So that your kids will do it well, so that they will do it well. But they say answers like, well, I just, I pray for my wife. Well, that's good. I can pray for your wife too. That doesn't mean I'm spiritually leading your home. We spiritually disconnect or divorce being spiritual and leadership. There's many men who want the title of leader, but they don't understand what it actually means to be a leader. Because Paul says... If you're going to be a husband you'll spiritually lead your home like who like jesus led the church meaning you will sacrifice you will be a servant and sacrifice for your wife why well, didn't sign up for that i don't want to make any sacrifices i just want to be a dictator there's a great spiritual disconnect in the roles and responsibilities in the home I'm going to give you one more just uh, very quickly on the fly and we'll jump to your questions. Is Unity is killed when you forget who your number one is. I say this at every single wedding I do. I reiterate this in marriage counseling. is Your number one is Jesus. Your number two is your wife. Your number two is your husband. The second you lose sight of your first love, who your number one is, you will kill your marriage. You will kill spiritual unity, spiritual oneness. I'm going to invite uh, Kyla to come up, and uh, you can give her a big round. Of heart tonight was was to be helpful. I realize that most of uh, those in the Genesis community about 80% are not married Um, and so I hope that as we uh, are talking about marriage that uh, this will not only be helpful and beneficial uh, but it will encourage those who are married uh, to have a healthy marriage and those who are engaged uh, to pursue a healthy engagement leading towards a healthy marriage and those who are single, um, as you consider marriage, if that's what God has for you, uh, that you would remember some of these things that were talked about here tonight. So, I hope some questions have come in. What do we got? First question. What are the grounds for Christian divorce? Uh, both uh, are Christians. Good question. You want me to go first? Safe to
1: go First
0: It's a great question Um, you know Jesus um, in uh, not in Mark's uh, uh, passage here but in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 19 uh, Jesus does add this I'll just read it to you he's talking about uh, the very same things in terms of marriage and uh, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. He does put in um, that if someone has been spiritually or physically unfaithful, uh, has committed adultery on uh, your spouse, that that is grounds for divorce. Uh, Just because Jesus gives permission uh, there uh, to divorce does not mean you have to get divorced just would reiterate that Um, I met a husband one time uh, who literally told me I'm I hope my wife cheats on me because I just don't want to be married to her anymore his heart had grown so hard towards his spouse that he would rather have his spouse cheat so he could check off that box well she cheated so I could go God's heart is for marriage that it would be permanent and if there is spiritual infidelity which obviously happens a lot, not just outside the church, but inside the church, God's plan, God's desire is that you would be reconciled first and foremost back to God and that you would be reconciled to your spouse. Kyle and I have never um, uh, gone down that road by God's grace. uh, We will never go down that road of spiritual infidelity, but I hope uh, if it ever happened, and that happened from Kyla's perspective, to me, I would be able to uh, be incredibly gracious and say, I love you, I forgive you, We have a lot of work to do, but my heart would be to restore uh, that relationship. And by God's grace, I can do that. So please do not take what Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 8 or 9, uh, as your escape clause. Always pursue reconciliation. Always pursue forgiveness and grace. And I know, especially in the culture we live in, what is spiritual adultery? What is physical? Um, Because there's been times where people have said, you know, what if your husband is just beating his wife? Does that count? What if he's mentally or emotionally cheating on his wife and having an affair of sorts? Uh, with another woman nothing physically has ever happened is that grounds for divorce women have asked before my husband is looking at uh, pornography that's grounds for divorce because he's cheated on me by allowing that crap into his head and heart and consequently into our marriage i'm raising more questions than i'm giving you answers for right now Uh, but i the question is uh, for divorce both are christians Pursue reconciliation Always pursue reconciliation And uh, when you think you're done Pursuing reconciliation, pursue it somewhere
1: I guess I would add that um, One thing we know That the Bible says is that God hates divorce. Uh, there may be A legitimate escape For you out of marriage But it's not one that God's pleased with And we know one thing about God Is that he specializes In taking broken, messed up Things that look beyond hope and redeeming them and turning them into something beautiful, and just as in with every situation that we find ourselves in, at, in in life, what we need to be asking all the time is how can I most glorify God in this situation or that situation? And in a situation like this, I would say the most the thing that would be most glorifying to God is pursuing reconciliation, like what God, what Michael was saying, and allowing God the chance to demonstrate His power. I can't even imagine how difficult that would be um, going through, working through infidelity, you know, a problem like that, that would require uh, more strength than I have on my own. And it would be a witness to the world around us of God's power at work, because it would be something beyond what I could do in my flesh. And probably the, uh, we uh, know um, of a marriage that has survived infidelity, and it is probably the strongest marriage The most beautiful testimony to God's grace and his power that I've ever seen and it is because they chose not to give up and they chose to work through. It wasn't easy. There was a lot of hard years, a lot of pain, a lot of um, consequences from what had happened, but their marriage now, uh, years and years later, is in a place where it is glorifying to God and it is a testimony to his power.
0: Uh, what do you do when one person is a Christian and the other is not and things aren't going well? Good question. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, the scriptures uh, made clear is that uh, in marriage, that if you are a Christian, that uh, Paul talks about that we would be equally uh, equally yoked in marriage. That means we would be Married to other people uh, who have like mind, like heart as it comes to um, the marriage uh, relationship. So, if there is a context um, for you, what what verse are you looking up? Okay. Kyla will read the verse. See? This is good. She's like (laughs) tracking. um, Gives a picture of uh, what to do in that situation. If there is a marriage that's just not going well, uh, if you're the Christian, um, continue to love your spouse, husband, or wife in a way that they would see the gospel at work. Not standing in condemnation or judgment of them, but standing in a way to love them uh, with the gospel. This is uh, First Peter um, No, it's okay. First Peter chapter three, it says wives in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, it's a great picture of by the way you live, by the way you interact, by the way you treat your spouse, husband or wife. Love them in such a way where they will clearly see Jesus, they will clearly see the gospel, and they will be so attracted to the Jesus that you love, so attracted to the Jesus that you follow.
1: And, you know, the Christian in this scenario, if um, you commit yourself to just following hard after Jesus and loving Him with all your heart and then loving people as He commands you to, you know, um, no matter how people treat us, we never have an excuse to sin. We have to continually walk with the Lord and love people the way he calls us to, and to forgive the way he calls us to. And so if you're in a relationship and you know the Lord, uh, it doesn't really matter how the other person is treating you. Our sinful nature wants to shout out, but I want my rights. I want somebody to love me and take care of me and respect me. And um, those are valid things that we desire, but it is not an excuse for us to treat our spouse poorly regardless of how they're treating us, we can walk with the Lord and we can obey Him and love as He commanded us to love.
0: Good. If you wait until marriage to have sex, how will you know if intimacy will be there once we are wed? It's a great question. Um, And really, um, people who are having sex uh, before marriage are shortchanging um, uh, intimacy meaning they, the only concept that they have of intimacy is in a sexual relationship. And so, uh, meaning if they're, sexually speaking, not compatible, that there is no uh, opportunity or chance for being intimate. And why I share all of that is to say we have a very messed up view of what it means to be intimate with somebody. Uh, intimacy does have to do with the physical, sexual relationship, but there is just so much more to that. Uh, as I talked a little bit uh, before um, uh, about uh, intimate relationship, you can be naked with anybody. That doesn't mean you have intimacy. You can have sex, and people do, with anybody. That doesn't mean you have intimacy. Intim- intimacy is formed first when you have relationship with Jesus, and intimacy is when you have a physical, spiritual, emotional connection. Why I say Kyla and I have intimacy together is because there are things that she knows about me that I'm thankful that no one else on this planet knows. She has knowledge of of me. That's why we have intimacy together. I don't know if there's
1: Yeah, I just think that you know, probably underlying that question, the culture around us has created these unrealistic expectations of what sex and intimacy will be like and first thing you need to do is kind of try to renew your mind and get those uh, false ideas of what it will be like you know sex on your wedding night is probably not going to be the best sex you ever have but it it comes what is great about it is that you're in a relationship where there's safety and security that comes from that commitment of knowing this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with or at least the rest you know one of our lives with And that is where, in that safety and security of that commitment, that is where you can know each other and you can learn together, and that is how it's guaranteed that it will, you know, that the intimacy will be there. It will be there if you make that commitment. But I think that we just need to renew our minds as to what that's gonna look like because media is bombarding us constantly with false images of that.
0: It's uh, giving parts of yourself away. want to know why you don't want to have sex before marriage and I don't want to just say sex I want to talk about purity no hint of sexual immorality among you Uh, is because we give parts of ourselves away that are reserved for only your spouse Uh, so that by the time you get married you've given away so much of yourself there's nothing left to give to her or to give to him so you guard your purity so that on that day You're giving all of yourself to all of her, all of him uh, in that intimate way. Uh, Will God ever come between a marriage by putting a calling on my wife that he didn't put on me? Uh, What do we do? Um, That's a good question. Um, Interesting question. Um, You know, it's hard to, um, uh, will God ever come between a marriage I don't think God would ever come between a marriage so I would say no uh, to that first part of the question Uh, is there potential confusion of call absolutely so will God ever come between a marriage no God brought you I mean this is what um, uh, Mark says in uh, Mark chapter 10 uh, what we read uh, tonight Mark chapter 10 says therefore what God has joined Let man not separate. So God has joined you in oneness and unity. Uh, So no, God would not come between a marriage, Uh, but could there be confusion of call? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a time before uh, we got married when I was pursuing Kyla, and uh, she sensed uh, very strongly that she had a call to overseas mission. She was living in Albania for about two years. And uh, one of a difficult question that I had to ask her uh, was, will you consider um, rethinking that call? Uh, because I'm not called to go overseas, but I feel called to be with you uh, in America. Um, and, uh, and that was a very difficult question uh, to, to ask of Pilate because she was very uh, passionate uh, about what God was doing in her life and what God was calling her to do in her life. And I think one of the things that uh, we've prayed through over the years, is that God would give us a call that God would give us a shared dream that God would give us a shared vision a shared passion uh, for what he would have us do with our lives we don't see ourselves as two but one and uh, that has been a prayer that uh, God would use us as one one passion one heart one mind one soul one call one dream one vision uh, that's something that you need to uh, seek the Lord on I had a friend back in post-college days had a dad who was convinced that uh, he was called to missions. So he abandoned his family and said, I'm going over to India and I'm serving as a missionary. That's what God's told me to do. And uh, left his family, uh, his two sons and his wife. And his sons grew up hating God and uh, hating the family dynamic because his dad said, well, this is what God's told me to do. I think he missed his call. Uh, We were first called to Uh, Love Jesus. Uh, I I sometimes get confused. My first role is to be a Christian. Second is to be a husband, to be a father, and then to be a pastor. Uh, If I ever start putting ministry, the church, before my marriage, I'm in sin. I am absolutely in sin. And there have been times where I have had to repent of that, ask Kyla to forgive me uh, for that. But uh, to ever put, that is to... Jesus says, I will love the church, I will build the church, I will take care of the church. So I don't need to do that, Jesus will. So I don't know if that helps, but...
1: And I guess I would add, since the question is saying uh, that the wife has a call, um, I would say that as a wife, um, once you enter into a marriage relationship, you do have a call on your life, and your primary ministry um, or calling in your life is to minister to your husband. And um, so, and that is what God would first and foremost calling you to, is to to be a helpmate, to be a helper, a support, um, to minister to your husband and then to children, if you you have children, then to children. So I would say that um, looking into the call, if it's calling you away from your husband and taking you to a place where you're not able to minister to him, to support him, to be his helpmate, then I would say that you do need to re-look into what you're saying is
0: all right. Well, it's getting pretty late, so uh, we'll do maybe this question: uh, If we are fighting before marriage, will it get better after we become one? Uh, no. <laughs> next.
1: Um, it, actually, it could get better um, as you learn to communicate better with one another. But just the saying "I do" up at the you know front of the altar and then walking down—that's that's not going to turn it around. What will turn it around is pursuing God, with your own relationship with God, and being obedient to Him, meaning loving people, communicating, forgiving the way that He calls you to. That will, because our communication definitely has improved over time, but it wasn't those magic words, if I do, uh, that caused our communication, our fighting to cease. Yeah.
0: You now in marriage, you learn how to fight well. and, um, <laughs> and uh, I think actually Derek, who was here a few weeks ago, uh, said it's typically the, the conflict, adversity, so to speak, that brings marriage uh, relationship, that marriage bond uh, closer, which I wholeheartedly agree with. But to the people who feel like, gosh, once we get married, this will, this problem will be taken care of, it will only be amplified. It will only be amplified. And so, um, if you see red lights, yellow lights in uh, the engagement, slow down, stop, pay attention to those flags that might come up. Uh, that might be God's way of trying to get your attention to say, I'm not in this. I'm not in this. And uh, be okay with that. Thanks for your questions. I'm sure there was uh, many more uh, questions. Uh, yes, there was a lot of questions. I'm getting the head nod. Uh, we're going to do this uh, over the next few weeks, do some Q&A like this. And our heart in this uh, is to be helpful and beneficial. Uh, not only how you act live in here, but how you engage uh, out there.